Actually, uh, it has been very rejuvenating and reviving. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 6. And uh, today we're going to um, review a bit, since it's been quite a while since we've spoken about this. And uh, I think the last time was the fourth, so it's been almost two weeks. And. So we're just going to review a bit, catch up to where we left off in the Lord's Prayer. There's some new stuff here as well, just a bit. And uh, so with that, let's with um, get ready to hear God's Word. So let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for the opportunity to hear Your Word, which is Uh, or to read your word, which is always available to us on a daily basis. And every day, Father, we connect with you and communicate with you through your word. Uh, We pray to you and can, can and should and must pray to you on a daily basis and continue to communicate, seeking your word, seeking your truth, seeking you so that we can know you more walk with you and live in the life that you've given us, which is to literally live with you in fellowship with you and to truly receive all that you have so graciously blessed us with, which is more than we know. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made all of this possible. He's uh, the sacrifice, the, the high priest who sacrificed himself so that we could draw near to you. He's the mediator. Without him, we have no part with you. And he is your son, the son of God, and deity himself. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within, and therefore through the entire Trinity, the one God that we love and worship. You have made it so that we, such peons that we are as human beings, can relate to you, know you, fellowship with you, live with you in that for eternity. And so, Father, our great God, who is holy in heaven, we ask that through your word we would be instructed and our eyes enlightened. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So in reviewing what we've done so far in the Lord's Prayer, and again, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer Uh, All of the petitions are commands. The verbs are commandments. So the first one, as you see in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. And so the word be there, the verb to be, is a a command. It's in the imperative. Uh, So every one of these petitions are imperative. It doesn't mean that we're bossing God around, which an imperative is a command. But it does mean that the request is intense. And these requests to have God holy in our lives, these first three uh, petitions are about us adoring and praising God. And they're in a particular order for a purpose, for a very, very important purpose. And that we uh, are not to take them lightly. You know, the, the command is be holy in my life and, and in the lives of others. Uh, that we should desire that uh, more than have people have comfortable lives or to uh, do whatever they want to do uh, to be successful at in life. 
uh, none of that compares to a person seeing God as holy, which is what's going to deliver their lives. Um, and, and first and foremost, it's the most important thing. It's right at the top of the prayer. Uh, and so <clears throat> the first is to praise the person of God, to praise him and him only. Uh, it's to worship him, praise him, adore him, whatever word you want to use. It means that he and he alone is worthy of my praise. He is my father. He is our father. So he's the father of the entire church. So it's not unique to me uh, that he's my father and he's not yours. He is all of ours. And he is in heaven. And there's something that happens in heaven that doesn't happen on earth. Uh, everywhere in heaven at all times, God is praised at all times. And on earth, it's a different story. So that's why at the end of these last, uh, the end of these first three petitions, we have on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, the praise that happens in heaven for God is the very praise that must be in my heart, and the praise that I desire for the hearts of others. And uh, therefore, what I would desire mostly for others is for them to know God, and to uh, participate through faith in the gospel to come to know God to by after believing the gospel, to participate in his word in a meaningful way. Uh, and, and that should be my desire, most, mostly for all people. It has to be first. So that's why it's first here. Sanctif- uh, hallowed means sanctified, holy. Uh, we don't use hallowed much in the English language. But uh, <clears throat> holy be your name means that we desire, and don't forget, name means person, uh, and, and all the characteristics and attributes of God. Uh, uh, I, I just, in, in the read, the Bible reading uh, today, or yesterday, uh, where uh, Abraham, no, Jacob in Shechem meets God, and after he goes through a whole ordeal, as Jacob went through many ordeals, he builds an altar and he calls it, and I forget what the Hebrew is, but it's God, our great God, and our God of strength. Uh, and that's what he calls it. And, and it's, for all the names of God that are in the Bible, I'll speak of his person. You know, God of strength. What does that mean? God is a provider. What does that mean? God who is almighty. God who is a, uh, uh, the one who loves you, the one who provides and so on. So uh, <clears throat> praising the person of God, that's first and foremost. Then we have praising the work of God, which is in verse 10, your kingdom come. Uh, your kingdom come again. It's a command, and as we saw, it's in Second Peter chapter three that we are looking for this kingdom. Now it doesn't mean we're out like Indiana Jones looking for a secret city, but that we desire this kingdom in our world. But we know it's not coming in our lifetime because it won't come until the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ, I mean, even if you're not a dispensationalist, if you're an amillennialist, at the second coming, the church is gone. You know, so there's some who don't believe the rapture. They think it's, it's from now to the second coming. Uh, we're those who believe in the rapture. But, you know, even if that doesn't happen that way, say that they're right, and there's a slim, re- the slim chance that they could be. I'm just saying by the scripture. It's not exactly... Uh, 100% clear. I, I think it's more like about 90% clear, but whatever, your percentage could vary. But, you know, the, when Christ comes back, we're not here. Right? The church is raptured, uh, and so we're not, my point being, we're not going to see the kingdom of God here on earth. So the question is, why would we even be looking for it? And what we're looking for in our lives and in, in the lives of others in our communities, in our families, in our schools, in our government. Not that we can control all of that, but we look for it and therefore do the things that make it uh, possible is that we live in the ways of the kingdom. Right? The kingdom has laws. The kingdom has a king. The kingdom has a, a beauty to it, a perfection to it. And that we live in. We're members of it, even though we're not there, and it's not here, uh, here physically. And so we, we long for this kingdom. And this means that we don't long for this kingdom. 
We don't long for the, the, the human kingdom. People, it happens to me all the time. I read the news and I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, here's this happening, this happening. Oh, this person seems like they're going to get caught now. Oh, I can't wait to read about how, you know, all to come out. The, the laptop was real, the, you know, this and that. And, and what, am, what am I looking for? Not that it's not entertaining, because it is. And I think that's the whole point of it. But that I'm looking for this kingdom. At times I get caught into it. That this is my kingdom. But it's not. This world is not our kingdom. Jesus said it to, to Pilate. If, this, if the, this world were my kingdom, my servants would be fighting for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so this is what we long for. And so, uh, you know, what is the kingdom about? God has to establish it. Now, there's other uh, sects of Christianity that believe that we're going to establish the kingdom and that we better get busy doing it. Can you imagine? Us. <laughs> we barely take care of our own lives. We're going to get together and change the world into the, and, and not just make it better. You know, the kingdom of God is perfect. We're going to do that? Yeah, right. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, and it's the ultimate in arrogance to think that any person could do that other than God. So that's why I call it the work of God. You know, it, it, the kingdom is the work of God. This is what he's going to establish here on earth. This is the, the end of, all etern- of, of human history for all of eternity is the new Jerusalem, a new earth, and a new heaven. That's God's kingdom. Where there's no more sin, there's no more death, And it's filled with human beings who are served by angels, all of whom are absolutely perfectly holy and righteous, and there's not a single thing between them and God for all of eternity. Perfect, eternal fellowship in the presence of God, with one another and with God. Really marvelous. But who's going to make that? It's all the work of God. And then thirdly, so, again, they're all praising, you know, we're not only seeking, but we're praising God, you know, not for my work, for his work, and then praising the wisdom of God, which your will be done, Matthew 6.10. And again, it's a command, your will be done. Uh, the will is the wisdom of God. God knows what to do and what not to do. Uh, you know, I, I put up here the... You know, the parting of the Red Sea. I'm looking for images for this to kind of make it pop a little. That, you know, Israel, the Egyptians are behind you. The Red Sea is in front of you. They're going to kill you. Moses says, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. He tells them, be quiet and just watch what God's going to do, right? And so would they have imagined that God was going to split the Red Sea? It was the last thing in their mind. But when he did it, the road was obvious, wasn't it? And when we submit ourselves to God's commands and his will, the road to follow is going to be obvious. It's not that we're not going to be tempted to get off of it. Of course we are. But this is what we must desire more than anything. God's work, not mine. His will, not mine. His person, not mine or any other person. And so all three of these, these are three aspects of us adoring God. All three are our desires. Do we desire? So when Jesus tells us to pray in this way, as I've said before, he's cornering us. Say, well, you know, I don't want to pray these things. I want to pray, God, uh, you know, bless me, uh, not here. Right? You don't see that anywhere in this prayer. <laughs> Actually, you don't see it in any prayers I shouldn't say any, but in the way that I mean like a selfish desire for materialism or a selfish desire for a better life just because, you know, I have myself in view or myself in mind. And you don't see that anywhere. Uh, The entirety of the scripture, which is the history of God's redemption for mankind, is all about man finding his real place in praising and adoring God for all that he is, and therefore worshiping him. So when Christ tells us to pray in this way, he's forcing us to face these three issues. 
of our relationship with God. And so we're forced to. So if unless we're just, you know, like what I was doing as a child, not that I ever used the rosary, but being in the Catholic Church, we prayed this prayer pretty fast. So it's easy to memorize. You can pray it fast at every Mass. Uh, we would, the whole church would say it. Uh, you know, who's really thinking about what the words mean? And, and for those who do think about what the words mean and the thoughts behind them, they're forced to say, well, do I really? You know, do I really see God's person as holy? Do I see him as my father, and my only father, my true father? Do I really seek his kingdom or my own or some other? And do I really seek his will or my own? And for others, what do I want for them? Do I want them to see God as holy? Because he's our father, meaning of the church. So Christ forces us to face these three issues in our relationship with God. And we're to pray this daily. And so every day. I'm faced with these issues. And hopefully over time, and, and this will be true, if you know what these petitions mean as you pray them day in and day out, you'll discover more and more and more about them. They're really un, uh, bottomless, the understanding of what? The, the holy name of God. I, I mean, you're not going to come to an end of that. What is his kingdom really made of? You're not going to come to an end of that, meaning learning it. Or his will. Not going to come to an end of that, of learning that. Uh, and you will always be challenged with your conformity to these. And as time goes on, you'll see either that you're falling away from them or you're drawing closer. And over time, hopefully, because we all fall away at times, but we course correct, which is another word for repentance, and, you know, over time on, on the average. We're getting closer and closer. Now, the next three petitions are about our relationship with ourselves. But not alone. alone. It's not like, all right, God, the first three are about you and the next three are about me. But the next three are about me, but in reference to my relationship with him. And that is in body, in mind, and in spirit. But first, we want to see that the order of the Lord's petitions are very important. The first is the first. Do we really see God's name is holy, and do we desire it to be so in our hearts and in the hearts of others? Now, this means his name, again, his person. And to adore the person is higher than adoring his work. All right? So, this is important to know. Gail, could you give me slightly more volume in-house, please? Thank you. Uh, Right, yeah, just like, there it is. Perfect, perfect. Uh, So, the adoration of the person is higher than the adoration of his work. If we don't worship and adore him, we may love his work for the wrong reason. Who doesn't, I I just spent uh, 10 days in Hawaii. Right? It was beautiful weather every day. And sunsets and suns, uh, sunrises and sunsets. Uh, whales, humpback whales was right out in front of my room, uh, uh, right off the coast. We, with our binoculars, we could see them. We saw a few of them. They, we, you know, when they jump out of the water, they it's called a breach. Uh, the flora, amazing, right? Everything's amazing. Who doesn't appreciate it? There wasn't one, we got to meet a lot of people who stay at this resort, and, you know, you meet them in the elevator, going up to rooms, going down to the pool or whatever, and everybody's just doing whatever they want. They go to the room, they go to the pool, they go to the beach, they go to the room, they get some food, they go to the pool, <laughs> whatever. And, uh, and you know, they say, how's, how, how's your time? You know, we always say, oh, I'm having a great time. And all of them would say, yeah, how could you not have a great time here? I, heard, I must have heard that ten times. And of course. Cause you, I mean, who doesn't appreciate that? But, you know, on the flip side, if your whole life was that, you, uh, I think you'd go crazy. Because you've got to do something. 
all of us have to do something. We have to work. But uh, who doesn't appreciate God's work? I mean, who looks at a breaching humpback whale in the with a sunset behind it and go, eh, it was all right. You know, everybody goes, ooh and ah. Everybody looks at the things that God does and loves them, you know, the beautiful things. If we don't worship and adore him, we might conclude God's work in a different context, right? In other words, God made this beautiful for me. Is that really true? I mean, is that the ultimate reason why God made certain parts, many parts of our world so beautiful? Is it for me? Uh, we might conclude that God's work or his final planting of the kingdom, think of, you know, the kingdom, we can't wait, we talk about this, you know, and the millennial com, millennium comes, a thousand years of Christ ruling on the earth. Uh, there's no prisons because it's capital punishment. It's executed quickly. Uh, no one's going to rebel against him. They don't do that until the end. Um, it's perfect. There's no corruption. Uh, we would say, you know, people live for hundreds of years, so there's no disease. It's a perfect environment. There's not even any traffic jams. The DMV is gone. You know, things things that annoy the heck out of us, they're gone. And we say, wow, why would God do all of that? World peace? Because there won't be any wars. Is that why he does it? So, wow, can't wait for world peace like every Miss America uh, pageant runner-up. What do you What do you want most? World peace? Fixing the environment? Is that it? How about just taking away all the evil people who are ruining everything all the time? Is that all the reason? But it's not. You see, if we miss the first petition to praise the person of God, the work and the will of God become more like appreciative things that are really about us. But they're not about us. The real purpose, the return of his kingdom, is it for your, for us? It's not. It's not for any of us. And don't get me wrong. He came to seek and save those who are lost. He has done what he has done for us. But ultimately, it is for his own sake. And a lot of people miss this. And by missing that, they they learn this doctrine and they think this doctrine is for me. Now, I'm not saying it's not for you. It is. But that's not the ultimate purpose of truth, of righteousness, of justification. It's not the ultimate purpose. Because what happens is, even with the truth, I can become completely self-absorbed. And absorbed with my world. And be like so mad that the government's not getting fixed. That the vote wasn't counted right. That the laptop was excused that they're getting away with this. And I can't wait to tune in to the next episode to find out who's getting away with it. And maybe they're getting caught this time. And they never are. <laughs> At least it doesn't seem like it. And what, what, where's my focus gone? What have I forgotten? The first petition. This is about him. This is not about me. How many times have we said, like, rapture of the church? Oh, I can't wait for Christ to come back and get me. Now, it's true. He is going to get you. you In a good way. But is the ultimate purpose of the return of Christ to deliver me from this world? Or is it for his glory? And if I forget it's for his glory, life will become centered on me centered on my physical world, centered on my country, centered on my family. Are these bad things? They're not. Centered on my government, centered on my news, the news that I like the most, centered even on my church. How's my church doing? Not enough people in it. Not reaching out enough. Not getting enough in. Money's getting low. Right? Where's my... And is the church... Obviously, the church is not a bad thing. Money's not a bad thing. It's necessary. But what am I forgetting? That whatever God does in my life, in my country, in my church, in my community, my family, my kids, 
history is all about Him. It's not about us. And when I can keep that in mind, I realize that I'm free, and and this rolls into the next petition, you give us, Father, our daily bread. And that means what you decide to give. Included with that bread may be trial, tribulation, suffering, want. In other words, like the children of Israel, the water supply might get very low. It's not gone, it's just low. And it looks like if God doesn't do something in a couple of days, we're all going to die of thirst out here. So what do we do? Well, we trust God, of course. Now, go to Moses and complain. (laughs) So Moses is pulling his hair out, whatever he's got left. They failed to trust. I mean, after they saw, is that slide still up? It's not. After they saw this, they failed to trust. So why did they fail to trust? Because in their forefront of their desire, it wasn't the glory of Yahweh Elohim. It was the glory of Israel, of them. You released us from Egypt to what? Die in the wilderness? God's like, you're not going to die in the wilderness. You're being tested in the wilderness. And what are you being tested about? Do you believe that I, I am? What does his name mean? Not you are, right? His name means I am. It's about him. Turn to Psalm 23. I love this aspect of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I love many aspects of it, but it's, this is backed up all throughout the Scripture. And this, and I'm only going to give you, I think I have three Psalms here, parts of them. Uh, and I found multiple more, but uh, they're repetitive in certain ways. But the famous Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Now, if we just stop there, We'd say, this is all about me, right? He's the shepherd, so I won't want. He makes me lie down. He makes me, leads me. He restores, oh God, I love verse 3. He restores my soul. It's so very true because our soul gets rusty, spiritually rusty, sin-tainted. Things like worry and anger and bitterness seep in and cause cancerous, sinful, loathful, uh, almost catharsis in our souls. Uh, what do they call that when uh, uh, people die and they get all stiff, that thing? Rigor mortis, thank you. It happens to us spiritually. And all you need to, all you need to do, and knowing you're forgiven, that's the fifth petition, is to restore to to turn to him and take in his word and remind yourself and let all of that nonsense go right cast your burdens upon him the worry the bitterness the anger the fear that was all causing that rigor mortis <laughs> you put it on him and you're restored I, I love that but anyway what's the point here he restores my soul he guides me in the paths of righteousness but look. For his name's sake, hallowed be your name. He does this all for his sake. He guides me, not for my sake, but for his own. Because he gets glorified in this. Uh, Go to Psalm 25. So all things are for his namesake, for his glory, not ours. Yeah, as we pray, and I found a picture that I liked of someone, a woman just praying, she looked joyful and worshipful. Um, and 
you know, it doesn't matter how we look when we pray. It doesn't matter if we got our eyes closed or eyes open. It doesn't matter if our hands are folded or if they're up in the air. There's no instruction on that. There's no limitations, I should say, from the Scripture. We just pray from our soul. You can pray out loud or you can pray silently in your soul. Again, there's no restrictions on that. And yet, you know, is prayer a burden or is it a joy? I'm hoping after this series, or, or during this series, that your prayer life is becoming joyful. It has for me much more than it ever has. Um, and not just this, i got to get this thing out of the way. Get my prayer list out of the way. And the earlier, right, the earlier I do it, I can say, well, I got it done. I'm done for the day. I don't have this burden of prayer hanging over me for the rest of the day, saying, wow, I forgot to pray today. I didn't pray today. But there should be joy in prayer because you're adoring and glorifying your Father, whom you love, and who loves you infinitely. All things are for his name's sake. Psalm 25, uh, starting in verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. Imagine you're telling God, don't forget your policies. Compassion and loving kindness, this is our word chesed, or chesed. You say in Hebrew, you've got to spit a little. Has said, it, we learned it when we studied the book of Ruth. It's a main word, a main theme in the book of Ruth. And it means love from a covenant promise. In other words, loving kindness is not just God's grace, although it is, but it's God's promise. And the reason why he promised is because he loved us. So it has to do with a covenant. Remember, Lord, your compassion and the covenant you made with me. In other words, the promises you made with me because you love me. Remember those. For they have been from old, from before the foundation of the earth. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. You almost, you almost want to like wink at God when you say that. Because like, could you forget that stuff and remember your promises and your love for me? According to verse 7 again, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me. (laughs) How beautifully tender is that? Don't remember my sins. Remember me, the whole person that I am, who you love. And notice verse 7, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Not for my sake, for your goodness. I wonder if where this common phrase, for goodness sake, has come from, this, this very verse. But we're not done here, not in this psalm. He says, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. That's all of us. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. Right Back earlier in the psalm, he asked God to teach him his way. And here he's concluding that, look, you have to be humble to be taught. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness again and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So a David here writing, who is humble, David who loves the Lord, who completely trusts in the loving kindness of the Lord, is fully admitting that his iniquity is great. And he demands. It's really in a commandment form. He demands God pardon his iniquity. But not for his own sake. I mean, of all things that I would think would be for my sake would be the forgiveness of my sins. But it's not. It's it's for the glory of God. The covenant promises, which is the loving kindness, to the glory of God. Who gets glorified when the covenants made with Israel are fulfilled by the second coming of Christ during the millennial reign. Israel? Oh, God, no. Oh, them, no. Right? No. Obviously, we see their history in the Scripture. Who of them deserved it? The greatest of them was probably David or someone like Daniel or Joseph, Noah, Abraham. 
uh, Chris and I have been reading through Genesis because we're doing the Bible reading, and we're, we're talking about Noah. You know, how great a man is Noah? And, uh, you know, he parks the boat, gets out, plants a vineyard, makes wine, gets drunk. Right? And, and so drunk he falls asleep naked in his tent somewhere. What we were marveling at is that in one sentence in the Bible, I mean, how long does it take to plant a vineyard, cultivate a vineyard, grow the grapes? I think that itself takes three to five years, something like that. Then pick them, ferment them, age them. Then you've got your wine, right? It, that, that's a span of like five years. But when it, it sounds like he stepped off the boat and just got hammered like right away. <laughs> but what do we see in this great Noah? He messed up like anybody. They all did. We all do. We sin on a daily basis. Every one of us. Some more than others. I get it. Right? We have to hate it. We have to hate it. We have to try not to, to the, the greatest of our ability. But the truth of the matter is, is that we're sinners, but we're pardoned. And why are we pardoned? For our sake, for his sake. Go to Psalm 109. Last one. Psalm 109, 21. Here, God is kind to us. So we've had in Psalm 23, God guides us for his sake. In Psalm 25, God forgives us for his sake. And here, God is kind to us for his sake. Psalm 109, 21. But you, O God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake, because your loving kindness. See this word chesed again, his covenant love. Because your loving kindness is good, deliver me, for I am afflicted and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am, I am passing like a shadow when it lengthens. I am shaken off like the locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my flesh has grown lean without fatness. I also have become a reproach to them. When they see me, they wag their head. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your loving kindness. But we see in the loving kindness of God, the covenant love of God is for his sake, not for ours. And here God is kind to us for his sake, not for ours. So getting back to, go back to uh, Matthew 6, to the Lord's Prayer. This is why it's important that the Christ gives us this order. In 6.9, pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, sanctified be your name. If I don't desire, if I don't adore and worship the holiness of God as his person, then his work and his will will become distorted in my thinking. I'll think they're for me, or I'll think they're for the world, or I think they're for whatever other reason other than the glory of God. And that way, when I get now to the petitions that are about me and my life, when things don't go the way that I think they should, I'm not going to criticize the work of God because I adore the person. You know, doesn't, is it not true that we look at the work of God and say, this doesn't make any sense? I forgot what passage I was reading of lately where I can't remember, but... You know, someone's saying, uh, was it in the Psalms or something, God, where are you? Right? How many of us have said, well, <laughs> I'm going through a lot here, and God's, I, I pray, this, I can feel it. He feels like he's not even listening. Like he's far off. He doesn't care. Where in the world are you? But you see, if you adore the person, you always accept the work. If you adore the person... And so when the will of God says, now, you, you need to do this, I'm like, I don't make any sense. Plus, I don't want to do that. And can I modify the will? Can I kind of like, what if I keep 
60% of the commandments. Of the ones I even know, right? There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. But uh, you know, when you when you adore the person, even the commands that are hard, you say to yourself, you see, if you're going to be just about the will of God and not adore the person of God, you'll be like, well, you know, the will can be modified. And a lot of Christians do that. I mean, all of us naturally do it because there's aspects of the will that we don't, some that we find easier than others. Some are super hard. And uh, But when you adore the person, you don't want to modify the will. Even when you fail at it, you'll confess to the person, I am unworthy, you are, are worthy, I am not. So, not only is the order important, but then this last phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The last phrase of the first three petitions is on earth as it is in heaven. And this warns us to make sure that we don't take our own versions of the person of God the work of God, and the will of God, or the wisdom of God. And a lot of people find themselves doing this. When you don't really know who God is from the Scripture, even though you call Him Jehovah or Jesus, Lord, you have in your mind a version of Him that He is not. Um, And and say, for instance, uh, a church where there's not a lot of scriptural teaching. And people go there and they hear that Jesus loves them. Uh, they hear that, you know, they're forgiven. And kind of like, say like the Corinthian church, right? And the Corinthian church were very immoral. But they thought it was fine. They didn't see anything wrong with it. Because why? Well, we have eternal life, we're forgiven, and God loves us. All of which are true. But... <laughs> The holiness of God they knew nothing about. It was taught to them, but I guess they weren't listening. Or they had forgotten. Uh, We must not make our own versions of the person. So in other words, how do they see God in heaven? Who's there now? The people who are there and the angels who are there. How do they see him? Do they see a different version of him? They're looking right at him. I mean, even though he's or the person of Christ seated at the right hand of God. At least we know he, he has form. He's a human resurrected body. How do they see him? Is there some aspect of him that they don't see? No, they see and adore him. On earth, meaning here, here, as it is there. I adore his person. I adore his work. I adore his wisdom and his will, just like they do in heaven. I must not lessen them. I must not water them down. Like, what is sanctification? What is the righteousness of God? What does it mean to be pure and holy? Well, I kind of have my own version of that. And and we'll often, very self-righteously, we'll find people who are not as holy as we are and say, well, see, I'm quite holy compared to them who are not even close now you walk into a grade school math class, and you're like, you guys are dumb. I know way more math than you. Uh, what are you comparing yourself to? On earth as it is in heaven means that there's only one standard, and it's heaven. There's only one holiness, it's heaven. It's God. So it must not be watered down. We must dare not lessen, make, make, make weaker or lessen the purity of God, the holiness of God, the work of God, the will of God, and to truly seek them alone. Like what God has hammered into my head for these last few years, and He's relentless, thank God, is that you you can't you have to give me your whole life. You can't just give me a part of it which, you know, in the patience of God, he lets us go along. And for a while we think, you know what, I've given God quite a bit. He's like, it's not near enough. I demand all of you. There's not one aspect, part of your soul that you get to keep for yourself. They submit to me, all of them, 
and and you know God's patience, He convinces us that that's the only way. Now, in person, I, for me, it's taken years, years to that message. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it. I mean, who of us haven't heard? You know, you demand, God demands complete obedience. I mean, obviously. <clears throat> but to to honestly see the reason and to agree with it, and it's when you, <laughs> and then say, well, is it is it possible? You know, all right, I get it. I must give you everything. There must not be a part of me that I hold on to, all submitted to your will because of who you are. Can't, is that even possible? And then you read a passage like, it's in here. Oh, well, that's not exactly. But uh, just as I was uh, doing a study on James, and James 1, God says, Ask for wisdom and you'll have it. And it's a promise. And ask for you say, well, all right, make me wise. All right, see you later. You know, it's not that kind of asking, because James says, if you doubt, you won't receive. So to not doubt means that you truly seek wisdom from God. God says you'll have it. And then God says, I will give you these things, and I will not. Hold back. And it's promised over and over and over again. You know, when we ask God, is this impossible in any way? Then God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us to parts of his word where we'll be like, we've read these passages before, but we weren't really looking. And the words are jumping off the page now because we're actually looking for answers. And there they are. And God says, yeah, not only is this possible, I promise it. But why do you promise it? Because I love you. You have no idea how much I love you. So, on earth as it is in heaven, what do they do in heaven? Here's the... I mean, I'm getting pictured crazier lately. You'll find out why as I go on. I'm taking a course, another course in, in school. And it's about... Uh, it's about video production for churches. It's something else. I'm only in the first week, so. But it's already got me looking for more, more. Uh, anyway, but I, why I said that is because I'm like, all right, because these are the four living creatures. If you know anything about these four living creatures, they have six wings. They have four different faces around their head. I think it's a man, it's a bull, it's an eagle, and it's a lion. And it, all four of those faces are on them. They're, the wings are covered with eyes. And I went, oh, let me go find a picture of them. Man, just Google the four living creatures in, under Google Images, and you just see all kinds of crazy stuff. But anyway, here they are in heaven, and what are they singing or saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is, who was and who is and who is to come. Did they say this just once? It says that they just say it continually. They bow down and worship. Moving into Revelation chapter 5, there's the 24 elders that are with these four creatures, and they constantly say, worthy are you. Worthy are you. God's kingdom is praised in heaven. Great anticipation exists in heaven for the establishment of his kingdom. They long for it, for the earth to be truly under the complete will of God, finally. God's will is praised in heaven, just as and just as the in heaven, these elders and creatures, angels, the believers who are there now, who have gone before us, who there's no doubt in their mind that God is holy. <laughs> and we here we're told here, just as in heaven it should be here. In our hearts, and what, whatever we can do to make it true in the hearts of others, and, and just as intensely, right? Not watered down. We rob ourselves if we try and make this life, you know, part worldly and part spiritually. And as we'll, see, you know, we'll see in a passage, you know, that's gonna, we're gonna be challenged with, where's your, where's your head? 
Is it on her on earth or is it in heaven? Now, where is it? Where are you? Are you more are you truly about the earth or are you about heaven? <clears throat> now, the last three petitions concern us, but not us alone. They refer to our lives, body, soul, and spirit in relation to God. Our daily bread here refers to our physical needs. Uh, The forgiveness of our sins refers to our mental needs. If we have any doubt about being forgiven by God for all of our sins, we will not be able to be spiritual. We will always question our position with him. We will always question at least a little. And if you question a little, eventually you're going to question a lot that God truly loves us and that we have a, a complete, unbarriered, unhindered, face-to-face relationship with Him. If there's any doubt that you know, there's some sins that aren't forgiven. Like, this is taught. I've heard, I've heard that it's taught. You know, that the unwillful sins are forgiven, but the ones that you really planned out and premeditated and willfully did, those are not forgiven. It's not scriptural. It makes sense in a human realm because humans have a hard time forgiving people when they do bad, really bad things. You know, in the human race, forgiveness has limits. But with God, it's limitless. He died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. Uh, so, the forgiveness of our sins are our mental, uh, mental needs. And what is that? Peace with God. You just go, as a Christian, you go nuts if you don't have peace with God. I, 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 I think about, you know, the, the legalistic Christian who's striving to please God. They find themselves under legalistic teaching in a legalistic church, and they're never good enough. And they must drive themselves insane. You know who was like that? It was Martin Luther. Not only did he drive himself insane, he drove his confess. You know, he's the confessor. So that whoever's listening to his confessions, you, know, you read about this. When he was a monk, he would go to confession like a hundred times a day, naming every little thing he could think of. And they were like, Martin, just leave it alone. Thank God for his revelation. You know, when he taught Romans 5, he saw that we're justified by faith. Um, and the other thing with the forgiveness of our sins for our mind, the, the, the health of our mind, is that we're not walking around with a bunch of shame and guilt upon us because of what we've done in the past. Because all of us have some pretty bad stuff in the past. And to be able to leave it behind, even though it rears its ugly head from time to time in our memories, uh, that is petition number five, forgive us our sins. And there, Christ doesn't mean specific sins, right? It's plural, sins, all of them. Now, I don't know what sins I've committed today. I mean, I know some, but I don't know them all. Two of us do. But they're there, and we... Seek his forgiveness. Not we know that we're forgiven by the cross of Christ. It's we are uh, seeking the comfort of knowing and believing in our forgiveness. And as he said, as we forgive others, and this is the other aspect of mental health, is that I'm not angry, bitter, seeking uh, revenge, jealousy, whatever against others. Whatever they've done to me, you're forgiven. That's between you and God. What is that? Mental peace. Now, if our physical needs are worrisome to us, if our our minds are laden with guilt and shame and worry, etc., the last petition, lead us, which is our spiritual life, the last one is about our spiritual life. Lead us not into temptation. But so what's not in the word there is the temptation from the devil. So we, we're 
avoiding that temptation, meaning we're walking the narrow road and we're being led. We just saw that in the Psalms. It's prayed by in Psalm, uh, the first one, you know, 23 and 25. Lead me to the quiet waters. Lead me on the paths of righteousness. If I'm worried, plagued by guilt, I don't know if I'm going to eat today. Right? That's the, the, the give us today our daily bread. How in the world do I have time or even the ability to concentrate on that which is spiritual? You, you cannot. What are the days that you're plagued with guilt? They come upon me. I'm sure they come upon you. You're plagued with anger. How much time do you spend rejoicing in, or I mean, I know you can't, <laughs> in God's truth, in God's person, in His Word? How much time do, do you pray well those days? Oh, you hardly pray at all. Why? Because the body and the mind are burdened. And Jesus will expand upon this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. God is going to provide what? For your body. God is going to provide for all your needs, mind and body. And then, when that is true, I'm free. I'm free to what? Focus my life on that which is spiritual. Rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in His will, rejoicing in His work, uh, exploring the Lord, finding more about Him, and joyously doing so. That's in James here I got coming up. Uh, Where are you, James? What does James say? Consider it all joy. What, James? You're insane, right? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Why would I have joy in trials? The promise is that your God's going to give you endurance. That's our old friend Hupamone. And, and, it, and it, I think so, because James uses two words there. But either way, uh, what does it mean to have endurance in life with people and with circumstances? It's most marvelous. Endurance means that I don't keep getting knocked over. James uses this image that if you doubt, you're like in the sea being tossed here and there by waves. What is that? That's like a nightmare. That I have no control. I'm here, I'm there, I'm battered by people, by things. And the promise is that I'm going to give you endurance. So the trial, have joy in it. Because there's something coming that you haven't even understood. Because with each trial that you put your trust in, again, you're not going to be even sinless in this. At times you're going to freak out. But then you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. I know what I should do here. And, And I find my faith, again, in each of these trials, there's going to be more endurance. And more endurance means a further understanding of what it means to walk the narrow road. Because in that last petition, lead me, and lead me, really could be lead me in the paths of righteousness, you could pray it that way, is that the temptations of the devil, the temptations from life, the attacks from the devil himself are not going to knock me off this path. And as I go down the path, what am I going to see? More. You're going to see more. And that gives us great joy. It's like really, it's a dream in which there's the pro- a promise. You know, people, and I, I don't mean dreams when you fall asleep. I mean, people have dreams, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to be rich, whatever they dream of, but there's no guarantees. You could work really hard and not get rich. Uh, you could have great ideas and invent, even invent something wonderful. So I'm going to rob it from you. And that's what Jesus is going to say. Don't store up treasures on earth where either moth destroys it, rust destroys it, or somebody takes it. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven that nobody can take. 
And so um, the importance here is of, in these last three petitions, that I know that my physical body is taken care of, my mind is taken care of, and then now I can focus on what is the truth uh, and what is the spiritual life and put my complete trust in it. I'm not distracted by anything. So uh, we started the Give Us Today Our Daily Bread. I I had that in my review here, but I didn't get that far enough. I think that's good. Of course, it better be good because we're out of time. But uh, we'll we'll return to that tomorrow, finish up a quick, quick summary on that, and then move to the next one, which is forgive us our sins. Uh, And each of these is so important. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for guidance of the truth and what you have provided for us by means of your word, by means of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he has done. We ask, Father, that what we have learned, that it would be impressed upon us today to adore you, to adore you for who you are, so that we are clear about what your work and your wisdom really mean to us, and to lose ourselves in you, as your Son told us, to lose our lives, and we will find it. And so, Father, we love you, that you have provided for us all of our needs, and that you have given us this powerful prayer, prayer life, and this prayer from our Lord to lead us in the way of praying. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.